I want to hop right into our study today because I'm really excited about this new series that we're kicking off. So if you're joining us uh, at home or maybe you're traveling abroad and you're joining us online, welcome. Uh, for all the rest of you that are in the building, you are here on a great week. Uh, as we get ready to start a new series, and this new series is called The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. We live in a day and age that will cause us to think that what we believe is not as important as how we live, that ethics somehow are more important than belief. And ethics meaning how we treat people, how we how we uh, treat people, how we uh, treat others. And, and, and I would argue that ethics are very important. How we treat others is very important, but our beliefs are, are what determines our ethics. In other words, what you believe determines how you live. And so wrong belief will lead to wrong living. Bad belief will lead to bad living. Maybe you've heard the statement before that ideas have consequences. Anybody ever heard that statement before? Ideas have consequences, but as my friend John Stone Street often says, bad ideas have victims. And when we look throughout history, what we find is that if we have wrong beliefs, it will ultimately lead, uh, lead to uh, harm to our own souls and harm to the souls of others. And so uh, we're going to enter into a series that I think is powerful because it's going to really help us to evaluate are we believing correctly? Do, do we believe what the Scripture teaches? Do we have a right belief in God? And there is much value to that, not just so we can uh, toss out fun facts at parties. Who cares about all of that? I'm not wanting you to be a great debater. That's not the goal of it. The goal of it is to make sure that we have right belief so that we can love God and love others more faithfully. And how many want to do that? Love God and love others more faithfully. Amen. So this series is based off of uh, a document, um, a, a creed that has been uh, professed throughout the generations of Christianity going back almost 2,000 years, known as the Apostles' Creed. Not because it was written by the Apostles, but it's based off of the teachings of the Apostles. And so uh, in your bulletins, you should have an insert. You should have an insert of the Apostles' Creed of your home. Maybe pull out your cell phone and you can just kind of uh, Google Apostles' Creed and it'll come up. It's a, it's a very popular deal. By the show of hands, uh, by the way, how many have heard of the Apostles' Creed before? Raise your hand if you've heard of it. All right, vast majority of you. In a, in a church of our size, there are going to be three groups of people as it pertains to not only the Apostles' Creed, but, but any of the creeds. Now, a creed, just to give a quick definition, is based basically a statement of faith. Every generation of Christians have wanted to make sure it was clear to the culture, clear to the world what we believe, and consequently what we did not believe as to dispel of any confusion or any misunderstanding, right? And so uh, this would be an early statement of faith that the church would, af would affirm. Now, Dr. Al Mohler, who's written a book on the Apostles' Creed, says the Apostles' Creed doesn't cover every doctrine of Christian belief, so every Christian believes more than what's in the Apostles' Creed, but no Christian should believe less than what's in the Apostles' Creed. 
This is kind of one of those basic foundational classes. If you've never taken the theology class or you, you've never done that, this is like one of those basic introductions to what Christians believe and why we believe it and, and at the end of the day, why, why it even matters, right? So I want to read this together. You pull out your card. You pull out your card. And uh, I want to I read this together so that we can be aligned on the same page. But before we read this together, and you're going to join me in reading it, but before we read it together, let me just say, this is not the only creed that was, that's been written throughout church history. There's a Nicene Creed. Anybody ever heard of that before? Nicene Creed. Uh, there's a Chalcedonian Creed. Anybody ever heard of that before, right? Um, and, and there's been creeds that have been written, uh, and, and, and one of the ways that creeds have been used or statements of faith have been used as like a catechism or a way of teaching what, what, again, the church believes. How many have ever seen Woodside's statement of faith before? How many have ever seen that? You should definitely know what we believe. So go online, check it out. It's right there. We don't want to be secretive about what we believe. That's the first thing you should evaluate. Before you evaluate a church for its music or whether or not you like the personalities of the leadership and all that stuff, that that stuff matters, you want to make sure you know what they believe. Amen? All right. Now, here's the right way and the wrong way to look at a creed. The right way to look at a creed or what, what makes a, the, a, a good use of the creed is when the creed serves the Scriptures. And what I mean by that is, is when the creed actually just helps to succinctly state what the scriptures teach. It's simply there to express with clarity what the scriptures teach. It serves the scriptures pointing back to the Word of God. The wrong way to look at a creed is when a creed is looked at as superior to the scriptures. And, and unfortunately, a lot of churches, a lot of de denominations throughout history have seen their statement of faith or their doctrinal statement or their creed as being more important than Scripture. And so you might point to something and say, well, that doesn't align with Scripture. And the response might be, well, that's all right, but we're sticking with this because it was written so long ago and it's historic and all this stuff. Well, none of that matters. The only thing that makes a, a, a creed or a statement of faith valuable, it is only as valuable in as much as it aligns with the Word of God. How many believe with me that the Word of God is the standard of all truth? How many believe that? All right? Now, what makes a creed so useful, though, is that it allows three things to happen. The first thing that it allows to happen, I promise we're going to read it. I promise. I promise. I'm just long-winded. This is just kind of my advice. You got to put up with it for a little bit. But um, what makes it useful is, number one, it gives us better connection. What, what creeds were used for, what statements of faith are used for, is to allow the church to have something to rally around. These beliefs that, that we can all affirm and rally around. For example, how many can rally around the statement that the Bible is the Word of God? How many can rally around that? How many, how many can rally around the statement that Jesus is Lord? How many can just, just say, yeah, I want to unify around that? How many can rally around the statement that he's not just Lord, but he's coming back again, and he's going to judge the quick and the dead. And if we put our faith in him, we will be with him forever and ever and ever. How many say amen and hallelujah, right? So it's, it's, it, it gives us connection. So no matter where I go in the world, 
I can bump into Christians and there is a deep family connection, even though we may not have met before or we're from different cultures. It is our faith in Christ that unites us. More than flesh and blood, it is the spirit that is alive in me and you that unites us into eternity. And I think that's beautiful. The second thing that creed does when used rightly, I'm talking about a, a good statement of faith that reflects the scriptures, is that it clarifies for us. Some people have this sense, like in a, in a church society, you have those who, who, who know creeds and love them, those who are unfamiliar with them, and those who know creeds and hate them. And one of the statements that you'll hear from people is saying, no creed but the Bible, no creed but the Bible. Um, and that's their way of saying, we don't want anything that summarizes it. We just want to get the scriptures. And I understand and appreciate their heart. But how many have ever been in a Bible study or ever heard somebody uh, reading the Bible and misinterpret it? Anybody ever experienced that before? If you're a human, you have. Right? A Bible study where everybody's sitting around, well, what does it mean to you? And what does it mean to you? And what does it mean to you? Right? What a creed does is help to clarify, this is what the scripture is teaching and saying. And then ultimately, it produces a more faithful community, better community. It helps us to be able to love God and one another more faithfully, which is ultimately what my prayer is. All right, with that introduction, let's read together. You got your card? All right, ready, read. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good job. You guys are great at that. So what we're going to do over the next several weeks is going to be beautiful. We're going to take uh, a, a segment of this each week, building upon it, and ultimately it's going to lead us up to Easter where we're going to be able to land the plane on the glorious resurrection and the promise we have in Christ that if we put our faith and trust in Him, that we will have life everlasting, that if we die, we will live again in eternity with him. How many praise God with that? Amen? All right. But again, a good creed points to the Word of God. I'm not here over the next several weeks to teach the creed. I'm here to use the creed to teach the Bible. So open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to start today, and we're going to look at this one simple statement, I believe in God. Now, how many have ever heard of someone called Isaac Newton? Anybody ever heard of Isaac Newton before? The father of uh, modern science, many would believe that. How many have ever heard of Florence Nightingale before? Florence Nightingale. All right, uh, these are popular names. You should know it. It shouldn't just be ten hands going up. We should know. She's considered the mother of, of, of modern nursing. All right, a little bit harder name. How many have ever heard of Blaise Pascal? 
Anybody ever heard of that? The smart people raising their hands, showing off, some standing up, waving at me with two hands. You don't get extra credit for that, just so you could know. But uh, father of, of, of mathematics, how many have ever heard, a little bit easier, William Shakespeare. Anybody ever heard of William Shakespeare? Probably in Western uh, thought, the greatest playwright or poet ever to live. Or Joan of Arc. Anybody ever heard of Joan of Arc? All right. Now, what, what do all these people have in common besides being dead? Don't say that. Don't say they're all dead. Somebody said that at age 15. What do all these people have in common? They all believe or believed in God. And it was their belief in God that spurred on their scientific discovery, their creative artistry, their uh, contributions to culture. It was their faith in God that drove them. As a matter of fact, um, atheism, as we understand today, is a modern, really modern invention. The vast majority of your great scientists, philosophers, artists, creators throughout history have believed in God. But the question that we got to deal with throughout this series is this, is belief in God reasonable? And secondarily, is it beneficial or is it consequential? So let's deal with the first, because we, we just encountered a whole lot of statements in here. We just read a statement that said uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. Is a virgin birth believable? We just read about a resurrection. Is the resurrection believable? We just read about heaven. Is heaven believable? All of these things beg the question, are these things reasonable to believe? And while this statement is certainly more intended to teach us doctrine than apologetics, it's worth the, the answer. Now, I don't expect you to know this name, but some will know the name Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew was one of the world's foremost atheists for about 60 years. He debated C.S. Lewis at Oxford. He was trained in all of the great schools in England. He was considered a top philosopher and professor. And he espoused atheism, and many atheists pointed to him as one of their thought leaders. But later in life, around 2004 or so, he came to faith. He came to faith, and he, he professed belief in God. And I love what he says here. He, he said in the statement, I was reading this last night, he says, We have all the evidence we need for faith in God. It is only a deliberate refusal to look at the evidence that is responsible for atheism of any variety. That's Anthony Flew. He says, the evidence is what overwhelmed me. The evidence, when you look at the fine-tuning of the universe, when you look at the moral uh, composition of humanity, where does that morality come from? Where does that fine-tuning come from? When you look at the signature of God, even in the human cell, the, the, the beauty of DNA, all of it points back to God. We have all the evidence we need for faith in God. But it's a deliberate refusal to look at the evidence that actually produces a lack of belief or faith in God. But it's one thing to say that it's reasonable to believe in God. It's another question altogether to ask, but is it beneficial? Does, does it make a difference? How does faith in God, how does saying this first line of this statement, I believe in God, make a difference? Well, we're going to look at that today. Again, Hebrews chapter 11, 
And I want to argue that believing in God is essential for possessing truth and that truth matters. Look at verse number one. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Jump with me to verse number six. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The Hebrew writer starts out with giving us a definition of faith. And he defines faith as assurance. We would say it maybe this way, great confidence. That, that it's great confidence that is uh, matched with corresponding evidence. Or, or let me put it a different way, corresponding action. You can say you have faith all you want, but if there's no conviction, if there is no corresponding evidence of that faith, no action, then it's not real faith. James puts it this way, faith without works is, or in other words, is not genuine faith. So what's the first benefit of our faith or belief in God? Write this down. Belief in God is how we draw near to him. Belief in God is how we draw near to him. Verse number six says this again, and without faith it's impossible to please him. We'll come back to that statement. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder, those who seek him. There's great reward in drawing near to God, friends, but the point of the text is that the way you know you have faith is that you draw near. There is corresponding uh, actions that produce the evidence that confirms your faith. Now, without saying anything to me this morning, you have given me much evidence that you have faith or great confidence in the seat you're sitting in. And how do I know you have great confidence in the seat you're sitting in? Well, surprise, surprise, you sat in it. Right? This is what separates faith from knowledge. You can know that the seed exists and have no faith in it, right? Anybody ever seen a wobbly chair before? That you knew it was there, you knew it was, it was, it was there, but you didn't have faith in it, you, and you proved that because you wouldn't sit in it. The fact that you sat in it is the evidence that you really do have faith in it. How many have faith in their cell phones that they work? Come on, tell the truth, right? Now, how many can also admit you have no idea how it works? Come on, tell the truth. I have zero idea how my cell phone works, but I'm going to reach into it later on today, and I'm going to either text somebody or call somebody, and I have confidence, great confidence that it works. And how do I, I prove or evidence that confidence? Through use of it. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had to uh, travel to a few, few conferences. That meant that I had to get on a plane to go to where I was going, had to get on a plane to come back. And how did I prove or, or show evidence of my great confidence or faith in that plane, in that pilot, in that crew? How did I prove that? I proved it by getting onto the plane, see, uh, uh, buckling to that seat on the plane, and trusting that they're going to get me from where 
where I am to my destination. Do you see the connection between real faith and drawing near to what you have faith in? Well, so it is with God. Now, why is this important? Because you and I have a predisposition, and this is all of humanity, towards self-deception. And one of the greatest ways that I or any teacher of Scripture can serve the body of believers is to use the Word of God as a simple mirror to allow us to see whether or not our belief corresponds with the Word of God. How many, by the show of hands, looked at a mirror before you left the house today? Show me your hands. Now, every woman's hand is going up. About 10% of the guys' hands went up. Guys just didn't care, right? But, but here's the reality. We look to see whether or not everything is aligned the way that we hope it is. Well, so it is. The Word of God is a mirror for us to see whether or not what we believe is aligned properly with Scripture. So that means that you can say you have faith in God all you want, but if you're not drawing near, that's evidence that you don't. It's evidence that you don't. If you're not drawing near to God in worship, like there should be an ever-increasing desire or appetite within those of us who believe to worship our good, eternal, and sovereign God. How many have that appetite to worship Him and see that growing? There should be an appetite for His Word to study Him and to know Him more. There should be a desire to gather together with the people of God. There should be a desire to draw near to him in prayer. I call these like your spiritual vital signs. Just like we have physical vital signs to see if there's physical life, we have spiritual vital signs to see if there's spiritual life. And here's all I'm going to say to you is the best thing that I or anyone else who teaches the Bible can do for you is to hold the Word of God up like a mirror so that you can evaluate for yourself, do I really have faith in God? Because the worst thing that can happen is for you to say, standing there, Matthew chapter 7, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, if there is a desire to draw near to God evidence in your life, that is testimony that there is spiritual life there that you've been regenerated, which is a miraculous work of God through salvation, which, by the way, is based off of faith alone. What this statement over and over again affirms is, I believe, I believe, I believe. My salvation is based off of my genuine faith in God, not off of my merits and my work and effort. That was a great place to say amen. All right, thank you. But the, but the reality is, is that genuine faith then is proven by me drawing near. Well, how do I draw near? What's my roadmap for drawing near? Well, I'm glad you asked. It leads me to my second benefit, a belief in God. I believe in God. Belief in God is how we understand Him. It's how we understand Him correctly. Throughout church history, the church has based its belief 
his profession, its confidence in God off of his word contained in Scripture, which is the self-revelation of God. Scripture is God saying, here's who I am. Scripture is God saying, you don't have to look within yourself to try to figure out who I am. Scripture is God's way of saying, you don't have to take an opinion poll to see who I am. You want to know who I am, I reveal who I am in my word. Now, let's thank God, first off, that we have a speaking God, because he didn't have to speak. He could be silent. But let's look at a few scriptures. Now, we're going to have to move quickly here, but let's move through a few scriptures real quickly. First, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Same book that we've been in, but let's go back to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And I'm looking at these scriptures because I don't want you to think I'm just like making this up on my own. I want you to see it for yourself out of the Word of God, which is our authority. And he says in verse number one, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke. How many praise God for that? That God spoke, come on and say amen, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken, he is still speaking, praise God, to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God speaks through the Son, and what Scripture is, is the record of what God has spoken and what God has revealed about himself and the redemptive plan that he has executed through Christ on our behalf. And now, what has he revealed to us about himself? Well, he revealed it first. Again, let's go to 2 Timothy, real quickly, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3.16. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we just finished a great study of 1 Timothy. How many appreciated that? 3.16. In 2 Timothy, this is Paul's second letter to his son in the faith. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture, all Scripture, this, this verse is literally slain, proceeds from the mouth of God. It flows from God. So we can have confident, confidence that the Scriptures are God-breathed, revealing for us who He is. And what has he said about himself? Well, the first thing we want to establish, and this is going to be key for the duration of our study of the Apostles' Creed, is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4. That's your Old Testament. Go there. Chapter 6, verse number 4. We're going to look at something known as the Shema. The Shema is the basic belief, foundational belief of the Jewish people and what the Jewish people gave to the world is this gift called monotheism or the belief that there is one God. How many gods do we worship? How many gods do we worship? One God. That's right. Verse number six, I'm sorry, verse number four of chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. But the beauty of the mystery of God is revealed in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And then we're going to go back to Hebrews. But Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. And that is that our God has revealed himself 
throughout eternity as a triune being. That the one being God has eternally existed as three co-equal persons. One God, three persons, the Trinity. We're going to explain that as we go forward. We don't worship multiple gods. We're not polytheists. We, are, we worship one God who is a triune being. Many scriptures we can go to for this, but Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of who? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Our God is a triune being or trinity as we use that term to describe our God. Nothing analogous to it in all of creation, and we're going to explain that as we go further. But the basic point here is that Scripture is the roadmap we use for drawing near to God. If you want to draw near to God, Scripture has to be your roadmap. And if anybody is telling you, hey, let me take you on a journey for you to know God more, and they're not using this as their roadmap, don't follow them on that journey. Amen? All right, final thing, and that is final benefit. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. This is where we're going to land the plane for today. And this is just a brief introduction, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, the final benefit that we have in belief in God, I believe in God, is that belief in God is how we enjoy Him. Look at what it says, verse number three, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the converse of that is true, is that with faith, I can please him, and he is pleased by me when I trust in him. You know, so often my kids, um, in particular the younger ones as they're growing up, they might be in the back seat and they might be saying, you know, Daddy, where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? And I might say to them, just trust me. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have fun. Or maybe they might be saying to me, we're hungry. Can we get something to eat? And I might say to them, just relax. I want to feed you. And sometimes I get a little bit snarky and I'll look at them and say, have I ever let you starve before? And sometimes they get snarky back and say, yes, you have. But the reality, any parent ever have that conversation? Right? What, you, what you're saying is, just trust me. And when they trust me and we arrive at the vacation destination or the restaurant of choice or whatever, they're going to be pleased. They're going to be happy. In the same way, God is saying, just trust me, because if you do, you're going to have great joy. But he says, here's the two things you got you to do. If you're going to have faith in me, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How many believe he exists? Praise God. All right, that's great. Scripture says the demons believe and tremble. So that's great, right? But we go a step higher because we believe he's also a rewarder. That, that my faith in him is going to be rewarded with peace. Yes, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Joy, yes, a joy unshakable. Hope, yes, an eternal and living hope, according to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1 and 3. But even more, those are all symptoms of a greater reality. The reward of faith in God is God. That when I have faith in Him, I have a relationship with Him. 
And that relationship is what anchors me in the storm. That relationship with him is what comforts me when the whole world seems against me. That relationship with him is why I can say I'm alone, but not alone. I am never alone. That relationship with him is why I can say he's not just a God of the mountaintop, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. How many thank God that our faith in him gives us relationship with him, not just this side of heaven, but if we have faith in him, how many believe with me, we're going to have eternity with him forevermore. Listen, we're going to close in worship, and I want you to stand with me. As the worship team comes out, we're going to celebrate that fact that we get to abide in God and he dwells with us. But my heart yearns for those who don't know him to know him. And if today the mirror of the word of God has revealed to you that I have not yet trusted in him, then today I plead with you, put your trust in Jesus, invite him to be Lord of all and he will.